Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. How can you inflation-proof your savings now that index-linked certificates have disappeared? What should you do with your pension fund while the government consults on new annuity rules? And where will you find an investment property offering a rental yield of more than 6%? Answers to all of these questions to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent. I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Steve Lodge. Hello. And Tanya Poli. Hi. And our special studio guest, Tom McPhail, Head of Pensions Research at advice firm Hargreaves Lansdowne. Hello. So let's start with the money news. This week, National Savings and Investments, the Safer's Houses Savings Bank, run by the UK government, had some bad news for its risk-averse investors. It announced that it was withdrawing its popular index-linked savings certificates. These pay an interest rate based on the Retail Price Index, or RPI, measure of inflation, and it's tax-free. Apparently, these and other accounts have been proving just too popular. National Savings, as a state-run body, is not permitted to distort the savings market, so it's only allowed to take £2 billion worth of net deposits this year. But it exceeded this target in June and has therefore decided to close a number of accounts to new customers. Steve, this all seems a bit catch-22, because savers out there are worried about inflation, rightly or wrongly. They are not being allowed to protect against inflation. Absolutely, Matthew. It's a rather an odd situation, isn't it? You, you'd normally think when a, a bank or deposit taker satisfies a savings need, you'd think they'd want to offer more. You know, chip shops don't stop selling chips, do they, when the queue is around the corner? Um, and there are no other... Um, uh, there, there, there are no other index-linked uh, savings products out there either on the deposit side. Well, this is what I find quite odd. Um, I can understand it if National Savings was, was denying other institutions the ability to offer index-linked accounts, but they aren't. They aren't. Um, well, the problem in the market is it's, this isn't the case with NSNI. It's, it's, that's clearly about inflows and so on. It is a rather odd situation, but the question is, well, shouldn't we see loads of banks and building societies diving into this market now. Well, I spoke to a couple of building sites who used to offer RPI-linked products, and they say the trouble is the pricing in the market. Um, so it's because they would want to do what's called a swap to buy that inflation hedge so that they could pass it on to savers, the price of that's gone up a lot. And so if they did offer a product, actually... Instead, as with national savings, they were offering RPI plus 1% a year. The best that anyone could probably do in the market now would be just RPI, which might not be so attractive to savers. And, of course, 
a big attraction for the national savings products was it was tax-free. Now, with the Bank and Building Society, unless it's in ISA form, it's not going to be tax-free. It's going to be subject to income tax. So it's actually quite hard to offer an inflation-proof savings account. That looks attractive, yes, to savers. Um, and, I mean, it's interesting that we got some statistics on the sort of rates people have earned from national savings. And, yes, they're good, but they're not fantastic. You know, even at a time when we're all worrying about rising inflation, the the certificates that are maturing this month, they're either three or five years, you'd have, you'd, you would have earned, or you will have earned, just under 4.5% a year. Tax-free, so not bad. That's but the you, average annual rate over the last five years. That, that is the annualised rate, yes, per year. Um, so you would have done better had you, for example, locked into a three-year fixed-rate ISA three years ago um, that was maturing now. Just looking ahead, let's say I am worried about inflation. I can't, obviously, buy one of these five-year national savings uh, certificates. Uh, what sort of savings rates can I get right now? The top of the top of the tables. Well, this is the rest of the challenge, of course. So not only is it, you know, if you like, the latest problem for savers. You know, everyone knows that base rate has been at, at, at this record low of 0.5% for nearly a year and a half now, and people are talking that it won't actually go up till next year. And, of course, so savings rates have always been low, but they've really drifted down in the last few months. So the best instant access deal out there now is just 2.8%. Um, that's from the AA, and that includes a one-year bonus as well. So really, you'd have to change again. On the fixed rate side, you're really not getting that much of a premium for tying into the short-term fixes. Best out there is 3.25 now, and that's from the Punjab National Bank, which some people might not feel comfortable putting their money into. It's not exactly the Halifax. However, in fact, it does offer exactly the same protection because it's selling to UK savers. So you've still got the 50 grand FSCS, the safety net, the financial services compensation um, scheme. And interestingly enough, that's all the bad news. But on the on the good news side, if you like, there is a new bank, another Indian bank, Bank of Baroda, that has started sort of promoting its wares this week, just this week, through Money Supermarket, through the comparison service. And there you can now get 4.9% on a five-year bond and 4.3% on a three-year bond, both of which are market-leading rates. And its rates on one and two years are just below those, uh, the, the rate I mentioned for Punjab National Bank on one year and just under 4% on, on the two-year. So there are solutions out there if you are concerned about inflation. Steve, thanks very much uh, for that. And for more on how to keep your cash savings rising in line with or faster than inflation, including details of those savings rates that Steve mentioned, uh, look out for the article in FT Money with this weekend's FT and online at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, where are the property investment hotspots in Britain right now? First though, pensions and retirement. Last week, the government began a consultation process on one of the biggest changes to pensions for years, scrapping the rule that says all pensioners must use their pension funds to buy an annuity income by the time they reach age 77. Under the new proposals, pension savers will be able to choose between buying an annuity or keeping a pension fund invested and drawing an income from it, or securing a minimum level of income and then taking the rest of their pension fund as a lump sum. The new rules will also allow those who keep their money invested in pension funds to leave any unused cash to their families when they die with less tax deducted. Tom, this all sounds like good news, but only for those people who have already got a large pension fund in place. 
Well, what's interesting about what the government's done, Matthew, is that, yes, the, the, the flexibility will undoubtedly be most appealing to those with the large pension funds and the fact that they can buy an annuity or secure a minimum level of income and then be free to do what they like with the rest of the money. That's going to go down very well. But the clever bit is that the government's also said, even if you've only got a small pension fund, you still won't have to buy an annuity. What you can do is stay in what's commonly referred to as drawdown now but the catch is you will have a, a limit on the amount of income you can draw from it and the intention there is to make sure that you don't fritter away that fund and end up with nothing so they'll control your income withdrawals by putting a cap on the income you can take out so in theory even with a small fund you can still take advantage of these concessions um, I think I think in reality a lot of people in that kind of category will probably will still buy an annuity, but but the clever bit is the government can now look everybody in the eye and say, look, you don't have to buy an annuity if you don't want to. And there are two types of drawdown that are being talked about under these new rules, aren't there? There's the capped drawdown that you've just mentioned. There's also flexible drawdown. Can you just explain the, the difference between the two? The idea with the flexible drawdown is provided you secured a minimum level of income and it will have to be through a pension, so it could be from your final salary scheme or f- by buying an annuity or, or perhaps using part of your state pension. Once you've secured a minimum level of income, you will then be free to do what you like with the rest of the pension pot, including having it all back as cash in your hand, subject to income tax, but it means you can just dip into your pension fund at will. The government will be happy, knows you've secured a minimum income for life, so you're not a risk to them in terms of welfare liability. So so that's for the, the flexibility for the people with large pots of money. And then you have the capped drawdown for those people that can't get over that minimum income threshold that the government's going to set. We don't yet know what it will be. Now, another um, element of these proposals, which, which I think will appeal uh, very greatly to a number of uh, pension savers is this idea of inheritability of pension funds. Now, of course, that is possible at the moment, but the, some of the well, the tax rates that are applied to the money that's left are very, very punitive. Um, and, and again, a key objection to putting money into pensions in the first place for many people was the fact that the money ultimately is lost. You either buy an annuity and when you die it goes to the insurance company, or you go into what was called the ASP, and there you end up paying an 82% tax charge on death. So the government said, no, well, look, you can go into drawdown and and then you will only have to, you can leave the money in there right up to the day you die, drawing an income from it. And then when you die, it will be subject to a 55% tax charge, which, which I think will be more palatable to a lot of people. You keep control of your money, you can draw an income from it. And when you die, a decent chunk of it can then be passed on to your children. And I think the government really does want to not only introduce flexibility for people at retirement now, but to make the pension system look more appealing for the people it wants to get saving for tomorrow. And talking about the timescales on this, it's it's not people retiring uh, tomorrow or or the next day. These changes are scheduled for next April, aren't they? What if you, what should you do if you are coming up to retirement right now, but you want to take advantage of this flexibility as of next year? If you're going to buy an annuity, I don't think anything changes. Just go ahead and buy your annuity. If you if you find the idea of these drawdown arrangements appealing and you like the idea of, of deferring right the way for the rest of your life and never buying an annuity and just dipping into your pension pot, then... If you need some money now, I suggest take a little slice of your pension fund. So let's say you've got £100,000 in your fund. Take a ten grand slice, take a quarter of that as a tax-free lump sum, draw an income from the balance, leave the rest of it sort of pre-retirement, unvested, uh, and just, just 
try and bridge the gap through to next April, see what the final rules look like then, and then see how they're best going to serve your needs. So I think if, if you're going to buy an annuity, go ahead. If you're not, try and just manage your income and your assets to get you through to next April, and then commit yourself to, 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 to whichever drawdown works best for you. And just finally, if you have a number of different pension funds dotted about the place with you know, different uh, providers... Uh, what should you do? Can you just leave those where they are? Should you think about trying to um, consolidate or amalgamate them? I think consolidating your pension funds just from an ease of administration point of view is is a good idea. I, th- I think if you don't do that, then you, you, you have complexity when you come to deal with drawing your benefits, dealing with lots of paperwork all over the place. Bear in mind, though, um, you may have guarantees on some of these. You may have penalties for moving them. So always check those issues first before you start moving money around. But subject to that, I think, get them all in one place. It'll make life simpler. Tom, thank you very much indeed uh, for that and for an explanation of the pension options open to you right now and the options under the proposed new rules. Look out for a special feature in FT Money this weekend, including a pensions decision tree, which is just a big flowchart explaining what your various options are. And finally today, buy-to-let property. After enduring a period of falling house prices and almost non-existent mortgage finance, buy-to-let property investors have been getting some rather better news of late. As more people seek to move into the rented sector, demand and yields are rising. This week, new figures show that the number of people who moved into rented property rose by 50,000 in the second quarter, and rents in prime London locations have risen by more than 9% in the past 12 months. So, Tanya, you've been looking at these figures is the buy to let market really hotting up or is it just the same old london hotspots that are you know continuing to enjoy a heat wave <laughs> no it's definitely um occurring across across the uk um the, the outlook is definitely improving for landlords and um, rents are rising in general on average um but london is um definitely leading the way against once again um, we're particularly seeing um, Central Prime London um, rental growth particularly surging at the moment. I think that's largely down to kind of a bounce back in corporate tenant demand. Um, a lot of um, the property agents have come out this week, like such as Savills and and like Frank, um, sort of reporting an increased demand from corporate tenants, and um, that's obviously seeing kind of high end rentals um, sort of increasing quite dramatically, really. But for those people who may not have the mortgage finance or just the cash to buy these really rather expensive prime London properties. What other regions of the UK are offering attractive rental yields at the moment? Well, it's really um, the industrial cities are doing particularly well, such as um, Liverpool, Birmingham, Newcastle. These are places where kind of you're seeing um, average yields of, say, um, I think in Liverpool it's 6.89%. That's probably one of the highest yields you can get at the moment. Um, this is based on figures from quarter two this year. And um, other places like Newcastle is kind of producing 5.48% and Birmingham 5.68%. So if you kind of haven't got that kind of um, sort of finance there, these yields would definitely kind of um, sort of, the income you get from these yields will actually sort of cover all your mortgage repayments. Um, but one thing you do need to watch out with the higher yields is actually in the long term, the total return is not going to be as great as perhaps going to pull somewhere which has a lower yield because the capital growth isn't going to be as much. Exactly. It's not, it's not just about the rental no. income. If you are an investor, you need to, uh, um, to consider both of those. In terms of the availability of mortgage finance for investors, has that been improving? 
Um, slowly. It's still pretty dire. Um, buy-to-let rates um, are still quite high in comparison to um, sort of mainstream mortgage market, and there's actually not that much competition um, really um, with mortgage lenders. There's actually not that many actually offering a buy-to-let finance. Um, so that situation does kind of remain dire. So buy-to-let investment still remains pretty much if you're kind of equity-rich, um, it's kind of a better play for you guys, for those type of um, customers at the moment. I think one of the big issues is in the sort of current era of government austerity, I, I don't know the, the facts here, but the, 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 the potential clampdown on housing benefit, it seems to me that many of the best landlord returns in recent years have been on properties that are effectively where the rent is paid for by the DSS or whatever the DSS happens to be called right now. Now, if the government is going to clamp down on housing benefit, we've heard of these ridiculous excesses, you know, in London where people are getting £100,000 worth of housing benefit. Well, doesn't that make it look a bit murky? You're not, your rental yields, your rental yields less sort of certain. Um, so I would keep away from it. I prefer the stock market. I don't think the stock market is massively overvalued at the moment. Yeah, and some quite attractive yields there. Mm. Um, just finally, Sanya, um, the the fifty thousand new tenants uh, in the in quarter two. Now, I'm assuming that they are all sort of private tenants in uh, f- f- fairly well to do parts of the country because those figures were compiled by one of the sort of top end agents, weren't they? Oh, they? They were actually from countrywide, so it's actually just sort of across the UK. So it's across so the it's, entire yeah, country. Yeah, so it's showing that demand is actually for. Um, renting is just increasing in general and I think a lot of people are walk- warning that actually it's going to just keep on increasing this kind of rental demand and obviously with the lack of credit and the lack of stock um, out there um, we're going to see rents rising for quite a while Better news then if you can find the right hotspot Thanks very much for that, Tanya. And uh, if you'd like to know how much buy-to-let property is yielding in your region, uh, you can look out for Tanya's map of the UK hotspots in this Saturday's FT Money section. But that's all for this week's FT Money show. Remember, you will find weekday news updates and all of these stories on our website, ft.com forward slash money. And if you have a question you'd like us to answer about any aspect of your finances, just email us. We will answer all of your questions or ask financial experts to do so on the reader's questions page of FT Money. It's a free service and you can remain anonymous. So do send in your questions to money at ft.com. Next week, we'll bring you another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me, Steve, Tanya and our special guest, Tom McPhail from Hargreaves Lansdowne. Goodbye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.